April 4th, 1997, Las Vegas. Ginger Rios disappeared after going into a little shop in a strip mall in Las Vegas. Her husband was sitting in the car waiting for her, but she never returned. After waiting quite a while, he went into the store that he had seen her go into and asked if she was still there. The owner of the store told him that she had bought a couple of books and left. Her husband knew that she had gone into the little store called Spycraft to buy a book on how to clean up her credit. She had left her purse in the car and had just taken her wallet with her. He was bewildered as to where she had gone. Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. I wanted to say thank you to those of you who went on your podcast apps and gave this podcast such great ratings. You listeners are the absolute best. Thank you so much. Tonight's episode is a really crazy one that is hard to believe, but it is true, and is one of those examples of truth being stranger than fiction. So let's get right into it. Ginger Rios was a beautiful dancer and backup singer in a six-member band called the Salsa Machine. She was also a Las Vegas native. She was just 20 years old and had been married for five months to her much older husband, Mark Hollinger, 34. Mark told police that after talking to the owner of Spycraft, he then checked all the stores in the strip mall, and no one had seen her in any of them. After that, he drove to his wife's parents' house and told them what happened. Ginger's father got in the car with Mark, and they drove back to the Spycraft store to see if the owner could let them see the surveillance tape. As it was a spy store, Ginger's dad was sure that they would have a camera or even multiple cameras. The owner of the spy store was Craig Leslie Jacobson, who at the time was going by the name John Joseph Flowers. As it turned out, Jacobson did have a sophisticated surveillance videotape system in the store, but when Mark Hollinger and George Rios talked to him, he told him that he had already locked up for the day and set the alarm. He told them that he would have to look at the tape on Monday as he would be gone for the weekend. Hollinger and Rios went to the police to report Ginger missing. The fact that Ginger Rios might have wanted to disappear had to be taken into account. Was there trouble in the marriage? Did she want to get away from her husband or any other situation that she was involved in? Mark and Ginger, being newlyweds, had just moved into a new home, and Ginger's sister said she was very excited about their new house and the fact that the lower level would be perfect for a dance studio. Her family had helped her move into the new house just the day before she went missing, and they said she was very happy about it. Her co-workers said she was thrilled about the career she was making for herself. She was doing well, and it was just a matter of time before she would move to the next level. Detectives, though, thought Mark's story was an odd one. His wife had just disappeared in a store while he was waiting for her in the car. And of course, it is standard protocol to look at the spouse and those closest to her. Ginger's ATM card had not been used, and her most recent check had not been deposited. If she had run away, they didn't know what money she was using to live on. Later on, Craig Jacobson would tell George Rios that his daughter was seen on the tape leaving from the front door of the store. He elaborated, saying she was on tape, first standing at a book stand, then buying a book at the counter, and finally exiting the store. But when George Rios and later authorities asked to see the tape, Jacobson said he had accidentally taped over it. Police got a search warrant for the Spycraft store in Las Vegas. 
They didn't find anything amiss until they went into the back room where there was a significant smell of bleach. They looked farther in the area and found a spot of blood on one of the walls. It was too small of a sample at the time to test. Craig Jacobson, who was still going by John Flowers, explained this by saying that that area of the back room was where the dog went to the bathroom. They regularly cleaned it as there was no carpeting there. He told them the blood must have come from his dog as well, as he sometimes had sores of some type on his ears. Things did not go well in the investigation after this. They did not have enough evidence on either the store owner or Ginger's husband to go further with the case against either of them. However, there would be a surprise. Many months later, detectives got a call from a customs official in Phoenix who said he had information for him. He said they had a critical lead in Ginger Rios' disappearance. There had been an investigation going on because John Flowers, a.k.a. Craig Jacobson, had been selling illegal listening devices out of his Phoenix store. Jacobson had made a run for it. Investigators ended up talking to Flowers' wife, Cheryl. Cheryl told them something about her husband that was more heinous than selling illegal devices, murdering Ginger Rios. Cheryl led them to where they could find her body. Sadly, it was not a happy ending for Ginger or her husband and family. Authorities confirmed it was indeed her body that Cheryl led them to, found in a shallow grave near Tucson in Penal County, Arizona. Craig Jacobson's wife Cheryl told police she was in the store when Rios arrived, but left to run an errand. When she returned five minutes later, she noticed Jacobson had gone completely white and was shaking. Cheryl told investigators that her husband had told her not to go into the back room, but she did anyway, and she saw Rios's body on the floor with a pool of blood around her head. She said her husband grabbed her around the throat and threatened to kill both her and her son if she said anything. She asked her husband why he killed Rios, and he said the woman had given him a note from two former employees who were apparently attempting to extort money from him. According to Craig, Ginger got in his face and he snapped. He said Rios fell backwards and died after he punched her in the nose. Cheryl said she never saw the supposed note and believed it was all a lie, and that he had no reason to attack Ginger. Jacobson sent a newly arrived employee out to buy garbage bags, his wife said, and he spent the next couple of hours in the back room with the door locked. The couple then drove to Phoenix that night. The next day, Jacobson drove Cheryl and their baby to a remote desert area. She waited for two hours in the van while Jacobson buried Ginger. He took her out to the area two more times, with Jacobson once taking concrete, water, and a shovel with him. While searching Jacobson's spycraft store in Phoenix, authorities discovered concrete mix and a shovel with dried concrete on it. There was a grim realization with this new information. When Mark Hollinger and George Rios were talking to the spycraft owner in the parking lot the night Ginger disappeared, Ginger's body had been right there in the back of Jacobson's van. When you least expect it, expect it, so the saying goes. However, would you ever think that you would be ambushed inside a little store while looking at used books? I mean, there are so many things we can do to be safer in our homes and in our cars, and even when we are out and about. But why would you think you have to fear when you're shopping inside a little store in a strip mall? No one really thinks crimes will happen in broad daylight anyway, but especially when doing something as normal as shopping in the middle of day, and on top of that, her husband was waiting for her in the car, in the parking lot, just outside. Ginger was completely ambushed. It's not much comfort, but at least her loved ones now knew what happened to her and who was responsible. 
On August 20, 1997, they caught up with Craig Leslie Jacobson and arrested him. Jacobson was 26 at the time and had to be held in a medical module at Los Angeles County Jail. He had injured his leg when he jumped out of a second-floor window in Redwood City, California, while he was trying to get away from U.S. Customs agents. He was then later arrested in L.A. Nine days later, August 29, 1997, Jacobson was in a coma after trying to hang himself in a Los Angeles jail cell. He was said to have confessed to killing Ginger Rios and was being questioned about another woman whose body was found close by where Ginger had been buried. Jacobson was found hanging from the ceiling with a bedsheet around his neck. At the time, in August, the second body was listed as a Jane Doe. She would later, many years later, be identified as 15-year-old Christina Marie Martinez. She had disappeared on May 3, 1997, on her way to a local laundromat. Even though Jacobson was in critical condition, he would survive and regain consciousness as he would eventually face trial for Ginger's murder. In 2003, he was finally convicted in Nevada in the killing of Ginger Rios. He was sentenced to 20 years to life for her murder with a parole eligibility date of December 31, 2018. But our story does not end here. In July of 2015, he was extradited to Arizona for murder and kidnapping in the death of Christina Marie Martinez in Maricopa County in 1997. Jacobson had grown up in Florida and had been arrested several times for charges of burglary and grand theft. When he moved to Nevada, he changed his name to John Joseph Flowers and opened up spy shops in both Nevada and Arizona. In 2016, on July 19th, Craig Leslie Jacobson was ruled mentally incompetent to stand trial for the murder and kidnapping charges in Arizona. The judge in Phoenix ordered the 45-year-old to be treated to restore his competency so he could stand trial. In November of 2016, it was ruled that he was faking being mentally incompetent in order to avoid standing trial in Arizona. Commissioner Nicole Brickner had ruled the 46-year-old Craig Leslie Jacobson was incompetent earlier that year to stand trial, but in a new ruling said Jacobson was competent and had been malingering to get out of his criminal case. This back and forth goes on for quite some time and in fact continues to this date of writing. September 21, 2017, The Associated Press reported that Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Warren Granville granted a defense motion for an evaluation of Craig Leslie Jacobson's competency to stand trial in the 1997 killing of Christina Marie Martinez. Again, this was in 2017. Further medical exams were ordered, and then motions were filed all through 2018, with reports from different doctors being submitted In 2019, there are motions for continuance and stipulation for determination of competency on basis of experts was filed. More mental exam reports and doctor reports are submitted throughout the rest of 2019. It is uncertain if Craig Leslie Jacobson will face trial for this. He is at least locked up. Hopefully that will continue. Christina Marie Martinez was on her way to a laundromat when she was abducted by Jacobson. She was just a teenage girl. Unfortunately, there wasn't much more that I could find out about her. Stay tuned for the historic newspaper accounts of crimes similar to this one. I searched high and low for a historic newspaper article or articles of a store owner ambushing a young woman and killing her in his store. 
I did not find any. I really did try. As I like to say, there is nothing new under the sun, so to speak. But this exact likeness, or one close enough to it, I did not find. I did find some where women were at stores just shopping and where they were at stores working. The first one I will share is the closest I could find to today's case. It must have been incredibly random and unexpected to the poor victims. This one comes from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, and it is August 16th, 1950. Hexed, Mountaineer, the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, Brooklyn, New York, August 16th, 1950. And the headline is Hexed, Mountaineer, and that's Hexed, H-E-X-E-D, Hexed, Mountaineer, Slays Woman, Daughter in Store. In Kingsport, Tennessee, a pistol-packing mountaineer who killed two women in a crossroads store told police today he was trying to break a witchcraft spell that they had cast over him. Police, however, said Carl Walters, about 40, was just talking when he claimed to have been bewitched and added that the witchcraft superstition died out in the Tiny Valley community years ago. Walters walked into the country store where Mrs. Alberta Gibbons, 21, and her mother, Mrs. Alda Woods, 44, were shopping yesterday. This has been going on long enough, he shouted at them, and with that, he shot them. John Evans of Churchill, a friend of Walters, said the accused man had complained of being under spells and just had to do something when they came on. Evans said Walter had been talking with doctors about the spells and blaming them on the fact that he had been bewitched by the Blairs. Blair was Mrs. Wood's maiden name. She was a cousin of Sheriff Bradley Blair, who investigated the shooting. This one comes from the Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Lancaster New Era newspaper, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, July 18, 1936. Headline is, Kills Ex-Employee Then Ends Life. Altoona Restaurant Proprietor Slays Woman Who Opened Store. Police Lieutenant R.N. Ick said William Thompson, 55-year-old restaurant proprietor, killed his former employee, Sarah Cox, 50, and then himself. He said his investigation convinced him that Thompson came into the small confectionery which Miss Cox had opened near his restaurant, argued with her about having quit his employ. Ix said Miss Cox whispered before she died, William did it. This one is from the Newport News Daily Press in Virginia on February 17, 1937, and it happened in Norfolk, Virginia. Man kills woman, wounds another in Norfolk store. Norfolk store. Man kill, man kills woman, wounds another in Norfolk store. Police detective Leon Howitzky quoted Heron Bosman, 39, as confessing he shot one woman to death tonight and critically wounded another in a cigar store here. The detective said Bosman attempted to hang himself with his suspenders in a cell at police headquarters after his arrest. The suspenders, the officials said, broke under his weight and officers found him apparently unconscious on the floor. They revived him and questioned him about the shooting. Nowitzki said Bosman, under suspended sentence on a liquor charge, confessed he killed Catherine Elizabeth Ewell, 21-year-old waitress, because she broke up my home, but said the wounding of her companion, Clara Tucker, 23, was accidental. This one is from the Gallup Independent, Gallup, New Mexico, November 21st, 1936. Man slays woman in the rear of store. This happened in Dallas on November 21st, 1936. Mrs. Alice Carlisle, 27, was shot to death last night at the drugstore where she was employed. 
Police jailed C.C. Lyles, 51 years old. Witnesses told police Mrs. Carlisle was behind the fountain when a man entered and called her to the rear of the store. They said she screamed and the man fled after two shots were fired. This one is from December 17, 1946 in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Pottsville Republican newspaper in Chester, Pennsylvania, December 17, 1946. Drugstore owner kills woman in store. Police reported a Chester drugstore proprietor shot and killed a woman acquaintance today and then fatally wounded himself. Police identified the druggist as William T. Harris. He was found dying in a room in the back of the pharmacy clutching a 45 caliber pistol. Ann Lee Brantley, 37, was found dead behind the prescription counter. Harris died shortly after he was admitted to Chester Hospital. Police said the woman called at the drugstore and then an argument ensued. This one is from the Pine Bluff Daily Graphic, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, dated February 19, 1914, and took place in St. Joseph, Michigan. The headline is, Wanted Excitement Murders a Woman. Youth 17 confesses to horrible crime after being placed under arrest. St. Joseph, Michigan, Harold Ullery, 17 years old, was arrested tonight, and according to the sheriff, confessed that he murdered Mrs. Emma Dayhuff, proprietress of a store at Fairland, 15 miles from here today. In an impulse to do something exciting caused him to slay the woman and rob the store, he declared. Mrs. Dayhuff was found dead in her store with a bullet to her head. The cash drawer had been rifled of $30, and candy, chewing gum, and other things had been taken. A general alarm was sounded, and search of the surrounding country started. Later, Ullery was arrested because of his suspicious actions, and after having been questioned, is alleged to have admitted to the crime. The sources for today's case is from ReviewJournal.com, LasVegasSun.com, ArizonaCentral.com, 